If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! Welcome to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar. Today we're going to take some time to get to know Nemours' new Chief Population Health Officer, Dr. Kara Odom-Walker. Dr. Odom-Walker came on board with Nemours in September after two and a half years as the top public health official in the state of Delaware, serving as Secretary of the Delaware Department of Health and Social Services. Delaware is where she was born and raised, and where she discovered her love of STEM-related fields, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. She was guided by supportive, loving parents in a world that wasn't always kind. I was very interested in science and engineering growing up. My parents are both Delaware educators. I am biracial by background. And so, you know, having my parents uh, support my educational path, but also telling me, keep going. And um, from their different experiences in life, saying you can do it, you just have to be persistent. And people will judge you along the way. But you know, making sure that you are working hard, um, studying hard, you can do anything you want to be. And they never really guided me to medicine. They just said, work hard. So I learned that work ethic from the two of them. Um, But I also had a a lot of personal experiences growing up in Delaware that showed me that not everyone is treated the same depending on what you look like and what your community may look like. There were teachers along the way who will not be named who were discouraging um, and told me that I I couldn't do what some of my classmates would do. And I certainly remember even as early as preschool going to a daycare and at nap time, some child saying, my dad uh, shoots people like you. And I remember my mother immediately took me out of that school. But those those experiences of racism, even in a state as liberally minded and diverse as Delaware, really stick with you um, and made me want to make sure that no one could take the right or the opportunity for me to do what I wanted to do and what I dreamed of in the future. That dream? to use her talents, training, education, experience, and skills to help others. An undergraduate degree in chemical engineering was followed by acceptance to the Jefferson College of Medicine, where she trained to become a family physician, and also caught what she calls the public health bug while studying and working in the center city neighborhood of Philadelphia where there are so many health disparities and challenges um, in particular communities and saw leaders and mentors who were taking these issues and bringing them up to a national level and saw the Surgeon General, who was a family physician, talking about public health and community health and health disparities. And I thought, that's what I want to do with my life and my career. And so just had incredible mentors along the way in this windy path of my career. But I I do think that those personal experiences growing up and experiencing racism myself, experiencing disparities, even though I was kind of in a middle class background, um, definitely made me 
feel like every child should have a chance to be their best and do their best. And we shouldn't be in a, in a world where that is not true uh, for so many youth. And this is just such an honor to serve in this capacity to think about population health and to think about how Nemours can uh, be a leader in the space, define how care can be delivered differently, holistically, with an eye towards equity, and then carry those lessons across the country as a best practice. Define for those of us who may not know what population health is. Well, there are very very disparate definitions of population health. But to me, population health means that we're not just thinking about the one-on-one patient clinical encounter. I'm a family physician by background, and that is how we are taught to provide clinical care. But rather, we're thinking about the entire population that we serve. So it's not just about that one family and that one child, but it's about the neighborhood, about the state, about our nation. And that's a very broad vision. But when you start to take that higher level view, it gives you the opportunity to influence those social determinants of health, the things like where we live and where we work, where we play, and how those have a larger impact on our actual health than some of the other things. That child with asthma, it's not just about getting them an inhaler and educating them about the medication but it's about talking about where they live, what the playground that they go to every day may expose them to, you know, what happens at school and where there might be opportunities to make sure that their asthma is better controlled. So I think those are the concepts behind population health, uh, but certainly they're very broad. Population health is the long game, isn't it? It's not a quick fix. Talk about that a little bit. No, I mean, we don't do well in our nation's healthcare system in terms of investing in prevention. Uh, so we're much better at paying for discrete, you know, high impact, quick wins that are treatments and diagnostic tests and just doing more and more and more in healthcare. But paying for things that matter, like obesity prevention, like nutrition, early care and education, preventing trauma in childhood are hard issues to tackle, and we don't pay for it well. And we also won't see the outcomes until almost 10 or 20 years later. So it is playing the long game. It is reorienting how we think about providing care. Uh, But we know that it will make the next generation of children healthier. It will make families healthier. It will make sure that we're paying less for health care in the long run. Is there the political will to play that long game? Well, that's the world I came out of. As Secretary of Health and Social Services, you're often seen as the chief health advisor for the governor, for the state. And um, playing that long game is hard when you're in a political environment and people are really just thinking about what's that next election? I'm on a two-year term. I need to get reelected. What matters for my constituents? So you have to really figure out how to use the right words and make that stated case in a way that makes sense to them. And sometimes it does mean I have the big picture in mind. I have the long game in mind, but the person in front of me wants to just hear about how the immediate short-term impact will create some synergy or trust or investment. And those are the words that we have to use. We have to figure out how to say, this will create a better economy. This will create a healthier community. This will make your schools more successful. But it is often a different set of words that we have to use to make the political machine work the way it 
should work. Uh, and it's not easy, I will say. There are lots of uh, bruises along the way. So you have to have a lot of persistence and commitment to those issues. And it is not always science. Sometimes it is telling the right story with the right family in front of a legislator or policymaker. But we can we can get this done. I think it really just requires a lot of engagement and having other voices at the table. So you have the science behind you. And it sounds like there's a diplomatic part of what you're about to do and what you've done for your entire career. It's so true. The, the diplomacy and the relationship building is probably the most important part of what we do because the science will lead you to the right or wrong answer. But navigating between that has a lot of gray. Um, and so we have to be able to figure out how to bring people along, particularly those who may have very entrenched views of, of what is science and, and what is evidence. You have a big job ahead of you. What's the first step toward achieving some of that that long game that we talked about earlier? My first step is to meet everyone who is engaged in any element of this portfolio of work, because a lot of great work has already been happening, whether it's in the value-based service organization, in the Office of Health, Equity, and Inclusion, in our national office, which I am in charge of. And I think that that is a really exciting place to be. We're also in the midst of this massive strategic planning effort, which as an organization is a very unique opportunity for us to connect the dots, for us to move forward with health value and equity. A lot of my work in the state as secretary focused on Medicaid, and Medicaid is a tool for us to focus on social determinants. So I was very excited to think about how we take the work that the state has already put in place and implement it in the health system, how we create contracts that pay for health and not just for volume, how we reorient towards creating systems that are thinking outside the box, how we bring in those who aren't showing up to our doors for health services. And so that is a very uh, unique moment in time that I'm looking forward to building upon and uh, making sure that we have everyone engaged. So anyone listening, if you have ideas, do send them to me because I, I definitely feel like this is an all-in effort. It's a culture change. It's not just about one person, one role, or the executive leadership or what we're putting in our strategy strategic plan. It's about the interactions we have with our children, with our families, and it is about how we uh, do this together. You are very passionate about this. Where does that passion come from? I have to say, I maybe I'm an optimist. I think that change is possible, but I also have uh, been fortunate to work in enough places in healthcare that I know it's doable. You know, I trained in San Francisco in a public hospital that was oriented towards serving uninsured and Medicaid populations. We served a lot of people who had no health care at all, but the city and county aligned to make sure that they were paying for care and paying for non-traditional care. Every single person in San Francisco when I was training had a primary care doctor assigned to them, whether they had insurance or not. And so that forced us as doctors to think differently. We thought about costs. When we were rounding on patients, we would often discuss what it costs to provide one treatment over another. And I didn't realize that was atypical until I was a resident and a fellow rotating and moonlighting in other settings. And folks were 
more persuaded by what the recent samples were in the closet and not realizing that 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 would cost certain patients incredible amounts of money. So I think that that orientation towards the way that care can be delivered is pretty unique. I worked in, you know, Kaiser Permanente settings where I could easily call a specialist. I didn't have to wait two weeks to set up an appointment. I could just get them on the phone while the person was in front of me and ask for their guidance or ask them to run down and take a look at a particular situation, a rash, an ankle. I think that that is not how we pay for care, but if you set up the system to incentivize the right kinds of behaviors, people will do differently. We will, as physicians, treat people differently. We will engage with our colleagues differently. We will share information differently. And that, I think, keeps me motivated, that it is doable. There are these examples out there, and we just need to take the best elements that fit for us in our environment and apply them. In her new position, Dr. Odom Walker also heads up Nemours National Office of Policy and Prevention, based in Washington, D.C. So the National Office has been in existence for more than a decade. It's a pretty incredible set of staff. We have a strong, uh, small and mighty team of about 20 people that are focused on not only our federal uh, advocacy efforts, but also prevention and best practices. So we have a portfolio around obesity prevention, around early care and education, around around moving healthcare upstream, which is looking at those social determinants of health and exploring synergies and opportunities. But I would say we have a lot of opportunity to make sure we're integrating our work and our lessons into the health systems, not only in the Delaware Valley, but also in Florida. And so that is an exciting portfolio of work to pick up and stand up and figure out how we can take some of these best practices that we're learning about from our interactions and collaborations, but also applying them uh, to the clinical units of care. It's a new area for me. It's a new area for the team. So we're working through what that will look like. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you failed? And if so, how did you react and come out of it? Yeah, I fail all the time. (laughs) I I think that you can't be successful unless you fail. You have to keep trying and keep going. And i feel that uh, in the short time that I had as Secretary of Health, well, I didn't fix disparities. I didn't fix racism. I didn't fix poverty. You know, I didn't fix the frustrations that many of our families have in Delaware with the way our services are organized many times over because I didn't have control of those things. But we set some big audacious goals in front of us, like addressing third grade reading levels and uh, eighth grade math and kindergarten readiness. Well, those are probably issues I would not have been able to fix in a three-year time period. But again, I'm an optimist. I think that we should have been able to move the needle further than we did. COVID hit and kind of derailed some of those important steps in the right direction. But I would say that because of that failure and because of that big goal, we we made a lot of progress. We got data sharing up and running in the state, and it's little talked about, but we have an integrated data system that can now allow data sharing and information sharing between the Department of Health, between Medicaid, and between what the Department of Education is doing. That was a very big lift, but a very important one, and still has more to do, but we started laying the foundation. In your time in clinical practice, which I know is limited, is there a patient or a patient family that kind of motivates you and keeps you on task with everything that you're so enthusiastic about? 
So I don't see patients regularly, although I was volunteering at, at Westside Health Center while I was secretary and have various experiences along the way. But I would say that there are um, these moments in clinical encounters that bring it all home. And I do recall a patient who still reaches out to me now and then, who came into the United States for the first time. It was sort of an arranged marriage with her and a U.S. citizen, which I didn't learn until probably months into our relationship as a provider and, and patient. But she really inspired me and told me at one moment, I've never had the opportunity to talk to someone like this. And I just thank you for telling me that I mattered because when we met, I wasn't eating. I was depressed. I was very anxious. I missed my family and I wasn't sure that I wanted to live. And after that encounter, we would continue to meet almost monthly just to uh, check in, make sure that she was in a better place. And she ended up having two beautiful kids. I was there for one of her deliveries. This is back when I was still doing a little bit of OB. And she still sends me pictures of her children. They're beautiful. She went on to get an accounting degree and um, is still married to the, to the same uh, wonderful man who was doing his best. But, you know, it's a very a different uh, relationship to come into a, a, con- a new country with no friends and no family. And I remember that, that I can make a difference in someone's life. And it's not just about that one moment, but it can carry forward for a a decade later um, where, again, when she reaches out, I just, my heart is warmed by the things that uh, she tells me and that um, I really did make a difference in her life. As she embarks on her new post, Dr. Odom Walker does so having led the state of Delaware through the early stages of the COVID-19 pandemic, something that has dramatically changed the day-to-day lives of all Americans including Dr. Odom Walker herself. I think COVID has changed everyone's lives. And, you know, I'm not only a a doc and a public healther, but, you know, I'm a mom of two small kids. And I have older parents who live with me and trying to keep them healthy and safe. And so it's changed just how we do everything. You know, I think it's changed the idea of being a working mom. It's changed the idea of taking care of grandparents and taking care of, you know, our our loved ones in a way that has touched us so deep. And we will not know the consequences of that both intended and not, you know, for a very long time, what it means to be on Zoom all day and, you know, what it means to have our kids on screens and uh, what it means to have greater social isolation for our older family members. I don't think we'll know that impact for quite some time, but I, I feel it personally and it makes me sad often and certainly recovering from all of the challenges that we were not prepared for. Uh, I think that we need leadership to make sure we're getting out of this safely and um, we just have a lot more work to do. So we need everyone to think about each other, take care of one another, take care of community members who may be isolated, check on your neighbors, check on those kids who don't have digital access in the same way, who don't have food security, who may be in horrible situations even before COVID, but now are 
further struggling with abuse, neglect, and other challenges, you know, I think we all have to have a keen eye on those who may be suffering even worse uh, than we are. So I'm grateful. I have a job. I work for an amazing organization who's supportive, uh, but I do think that COVID has changed the way that we should think about those around us and those that we also need to uh, be responsible for. I think that Right now, I would like to reemphasize how much we appreciate the work of all of our associates and what they're doing to help us uh, get through COVID-19 and get through the stressors that are out there in the world around us. But it's not just the the doctors and nurses. I, I just have to say thank you to the cleaning staff and those who work in our parking facilities and those who are really making sure that we're all safe and have the deliveries that we need. They are often un, unsung heroes and um, really trying to make sure that we're all safe and have what we need for our patients and families. So there are so many heroes right now that aren't acknowledged, that are getting sick, that are bringing home COVID to their families and loved ones, and we aren't necessarily telling their stories. So I just want to say a special thank you. Dr. Kara Odom-Walker is Nemours' Chief Population Health Officer and heads up the Nemours' National Office of Policy and Prevention, based in Washington, D.C. If you're interested in learning more about the work done by Dr. Odom Walker and the staff of the Nemours National Office, they tweet regularly under the Twitter handle at MHC Upstream. That's at MHC Upstream. She also encourages Nemours associates with ideas or projects for her office to reach out to her directly. Oh, and one other tidbit about Dr. Odom Walker. In 2018, she was elected to the National Academy of Medicine. That's considered one of the highest honors in the fields of health and medicine, recognizing individuals who have demonstrated outstanding professional achievements and commitment to service. Many thanks to Dr. Kara Odom-Walker for being with us on the Champions for Children podcast. We welcome you to share your Nemours story. Just email us at podcast at so we can set up a time to do an interview with you, your team, or perhaps one of your fellow associates. That's podcast at Production assistance for this and every podcast is courtesy of Peter Adebi and Deborah Griffin. Listen and subscribe to the Champions for Children podcast on your favorite podcast app. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Fall River, Massachusetts. And our words of wisdom today come from Dr. Kara Odom-Walker. My words of wisdom reflect the, the day and time that we're in. I think when so many families are suffering from the impacts and consequences of COVID-19 and the pandemic, we all have our own stories and our own struggles that can motivate us. But I would say that at, at this time of racial reckoning, it's really important for us all to just reflect on our own personal experiences, but also use that as a, a time to lean into the issues, to speak up for things that are wrong, uh, to share your skills and share your stories, whether that is with that uh, family who really needs to hear it or whether that's with the leadership of this organization. Please go to the town halls, reach out to your elected officials right now. They need to hear feedback about how our patients and families are struggling because that makes it real to them. And it, it doesn't need to be with an ask, but certainly you will find that if you reach out to those who are decision makers, they truly value hearing uh, from those that they serve. I'm Carol Vassar. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Until next time, stay safe, stay well, and thank you for all you do for the children we serve. Thank you.